Hello guys and welcome to the Life School for Men podcast. We meet here weekly at the intersection of scriptural wisdom and 21st century life for men. It's here that we'll have intelligent conversations, conversations about the issues that guys just like you and I face in everyday life. So get ready, ready to laugh, ready to think, and ready to learn. It's on now. Something useful. Alright, four part series, three part, I'm sorry, on meaning. Today, my mission here is to make you horribly uncomfortable with everything you believe. I want you to leave here with a gnawing suspicion that you may never have evaluated what you believe and why you believe it. And here's why. Because before we can move into what most of you, I assume, are here for, which is to discuss meaning, we have to do some foundation work. Meaning is not a primary concern, even though it is a primary curiosity. In other words, meaning is what we call derivative truth. Does anybody understand the difference between primary truth and derivative truth? Anybody? Things you know and things you're trying to figure out. Okay, here's what we mean. Primary truth is established first. All derivative truth depends on the primary truth. Meaning is not a standalone primary truth. Meaning, if there is such a thing as meaning, and we're not jumping the gun on that, meaning in life is not a primary truth. It is derived from certain other truths which must precede it. And according to your definitions or establishment of truth, there's where you're able to find meaning. Are, we, are you all with me? Okay, so when we are all curious about, I wonder what the meaning of life is, I wonder what life should mean to me, you can't answer that question intelligently for yourself, let alone help anybody else to find meaning, until you first established a couple of primary truths. So that's what we're going to do. Now, the first one of them, the first primary truth is belief, and we're going to spend most of the morning talking about belief. Now here's the way this works, and I'm going to single out a website that I saw. Um, I started doing research for this for this series a while back, and I, you know, I just did a random Google search. Let's see what's out there on the topic of meaning. Let's see what other people are saying about meaning. And I came across this, as you would suppose, there were some secular sources, there were some religious sources, and I came across this website called Catholics Come Home. And the premise, the purpose to the, to the website is there is a vast block of what we'll call former Catholics, non-practicing Catholics, who are interested in returning to church or they're curious about returning to their Catholic roots. And they're looking for reasons why. In other words, I remember what church was like when I was 10 and I had to go every week. I wonder if it's any different now that I'm an adult. And so here was the landing page or splash page statement, which really got my attention. You've looked for other sources of meaning in life and found them empty. Come to Jesus, Jesus provides meaning. And, and secondarily, of course, come back to our church because our church introduces you to Jesus. Now, at face value, and if you are already a believer, that sounds like an okay statement. As a matter of fact, it's the kind of a statement that churches all across America use almost every week. And it's horribly flawed. So, I have tried this, 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 and countless other things, 
as sources of meaning. I've tried them all and they've not taken me to a place of significant meaning. Therefore, the obvious conclusion, the only possible conclusion is that there's only one other bucket where meaning could be found and Jesus is it. Do you see any flaws with that? There's only one. I mean, there's, at, this, at this point, there's nothing leading on that truth. That's it. There is nothing to support that claim, number one. And number two, who says that just because you've tried five buckets, that there isn't a sixth one out there that isn't Jesus that could provide a basis for meaning? Who says that? See, to automatically, and this is what churches do all the time. You try this, it doesn't work. Therefore, the only and obvious conclusion is Jesus is the answer. Now, you know what the amazing thing is? Every week when that pitch is made, people buy that sales pitch. And they buy it thought on thought. You've, you've, you've heard of sight unseen, right? Well, they don't think through whether this could be true or not. So here's what we're going to do today. Here's where you are right now. And this is your belief system. We'll talk, get into talking about that in a moment. Here's where I want you to be with your belief system. Now you think your belief system is tested right now, but for most of us our belief systems are not honestly tested. And to get from here, where you have beliefs and you've started to build your life, to over there means you actually have to dismantle what's here and look at it piece by piece and evaluate it and decide if you want it to be part of a tested belief on the other side. But in between, it sucks. It's uncomfortable. What I liken it to is, those are waves on a river. Um, Alright, there. Better? Nah. Not better. That's why I don't draw for a living. Um, it's really choppy and ugly and rough in the middle. It's a little like this. So imagine, how many of you know how to walk? Right? Show of hands. Good. How many of you are comfortable and feel that you've mastered the skill of walking? Alright? Now I'd like you to think about this. Suppose with every step that you took you had to ask yourself, can I trust my foot? Can I trust my leg? Is this the time when my leg is going to fail? Just think about that for a moment. Every single step that you took, what if you had to second guess your leg's ability to support you with that next step? Would that change the way you walked? You would, right? You'd constantly be thinking about this. That is exactly what it feels like in life to be questioning your beliefs while you have to live in them because you can't disband living while you question the beliefs that inform the way you live. Do you know what most people do? They go back here because they know they can do this. They just go on blindly trusting what they think to be real because it's too painful, it's too difficult to evaluate your beliefs and therefore why put yourself through the misery. Now we all have to live with untested beliefs every day. But if you live the rest of your life with most of your beliefs untested, well what if you were wrong? Or what if there were a better way? Now, it's up to you. You can continue to live in what I'm going to call a state of modest delusion 
where nothing that you believe has been tested, or you can start to take every one of your beliefs, one at a time, unpack them, ask yourself, why do I believe this? Do I have any evidence to support this? And will I continue to believe it after I've evaluated it? Now, we've talked about this before, but I just want to remind you of this principle. It applies to some of you here. When I listen to justifications or reasons given as to why people believe what they believe, one of the primary source materials is my experience. I believe this because I've experienced it. And at face value, that sounds legitimate. I've experienced that Jesus, and we're going to use Jesus for a minute just because it's church and we're allowed to do that in church, but we're not limiting this to Jesus. I want you to be clear about that. I've experienced personally that Jesus has done something in my life and therefore I believe in Jesus. Here's the challenge to that. If you look out in the world, can you point to one single person in the entire world who hasn't had experiences? We've all had experiences. Here's the question. Do all people believe in Jesus? And therefore, experience alone is, number one, not the only or only necessary foundation on which to believe. It's not even the most important. Experience is good, but people don't believe in God or don't believe in Jesus for the very same reason. They've had experiences that suggest to them that there is no God and they wanted to believe in God. So experience is not a valid primary foundational reason for you to believe. Now, if you're a Bible scholar, especially if you're a New Testament scholar, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, what about somebody like Paul? I mean, Paul has this remarkable, amazing experience on the Damascus Road. And throughout the rest of Paul's life, you see him in the limited times where we're given the privilege of listening in, so to speak, on a testimony that he has. We'll see him point back to that Damascus Road experience and say, I had this encounter with God on the road to Damascus. And that would suggest to us that experience is important. Here's the problem. Paul didn't stop there. Paul used his Damascus Road experience as the tipping point or the catalyst to look back into the written text that was his source material and say, can I find evidence for this to support this, that this belief is legitimate? Can I find anything that backs this up? And the reason that we have some of the great works that Paul's delivered for us, the reason that we have the book of Romans is because Paul did the heavy lifting work of after he had had an experience going back and seeking to validate the experience with an intellectual underpinning. Does that make sense to you? Without that, there is nothing but my experience and since none of us have identical experiences, that means none of us are going to, in the end, have identical beliefs. Now here's what I'm going to suggest to you. I can't find meaning in life until I first establish a belief system. My belief system is one of the primary fundamental foundational pieces on which I'm going to either find meaning or not find meaning. And if I'm not able to validate and construct a legitimate belief system, then I can't find a legitimate meaning. Questions so far? Does anybody hate me yet? Good. <laughs>
Well, I didn't care, but I just wanted to see. <laughs> All right. Where do beliefs come from? That's an important question. So why do you, right now, today, in your chair, believe what you believe and not something else? Okay, well, here's the way it works. You start out, you're, we'll say, reasonably speaking, a blank slate. <coughs> you did not have a robust and well-constructed belief system at day two of your life, right? You, you pretty much agree with that. And so we start to develop a belief system, number one, by experience. I'm a week old, I'm hungry, and I cry, and I get food. What does that experience lead me to believe? If I cry, I'll get some attention. The attention will be food, it could be a change, it could be whatever. If I cry, I'll get attention. Now that becomes part of your belief system. Later on, in addition to experiences that start to form beliefs, now is that tested at that point? Has that belief been thoroughly vetted? No, it hasn't. It's just anecdotal evidence. Okay, now if we were to go to, let's say, Bulgaria, in one of those, and we've all heard about those, those places where children are put in these orphanages that aren't really orphanages, and they aren't touched, they aren't held, they aren't handled for, for months at a time, right? How long do you think those kids cry and nobody does anything? Right? So again, Experience untested and unvalidated is just that. It is anecdotal and pertains only to me. Now, as we move along, I'm sure your parents, you were raised by parents, right? Most of you, not, not wolves, okay? So most of us have had parents and those parents tried to teach us things with modest success sometimes, with limited success at others, but they tried to teach us things. And so now, we have two things that are going into our belief system, my personal experiences and the things that have been intentionally placed into my life and how I interpret them. And remember, I'm going to start to interpret even what's put into me based on my experience and vice versa. There's an interaction starts to take place there. So if my parents tell me parents are reliable and you can trust them and should listen to them, but my parents never respond to any of my needs, what's happened? There's been a breach between my experience and the teaching that's been given to me. Okay, so we start to filter out the difference between our experiences and, and what's been fed into us and we start to sort them out. Now in addition to that we have observation, which is a kind of experience. But it's not personal experience. Alright? So instead of me having something happen to me and that's my experience, I watch what happens to you. And I see how, thing, how you respond to things. And so part of my belief system is based on what I observe in the world around me that isn't happening directly to me. So those three things. My personal experience, things that I've been taught, things that I've observed to be true about or I believe to be true about other people, but they're not necessarily part of my life experience. And they start to form our belief system. And that's what you enter adulthood with, is basically that. But as an adult now, you're going to find that there's experiences that you encounter or needs that you have, <coughs> excuse me, that you have not been thoroughly equipped for by your beliefs. And so you start to go out 
and search for things that are going to support or help you to live the life that you need to live. But you're also going to find something else. As an adult, you're going to encounter people who have had thoroughly different sets of experiences, teachings, and observations. You're going to rub shoulders with people who don't believe what you believe. As a matter of fact, they have a completely different belief system. What do you do with that? Or, that's one option, a degree to disagree. This is my belief system, I see you don't believe the same way, I'm still going to believe this way and I'll allow you to believe that way. That's a tolerant agree to disagree. That's one way. What else? What other options do we have? You file it for additional information to use in future consideration. Okay, so now you could use that to supplement your belief system or what else? I can actually, here's the third thing that I want to get to before I forget it. I can actually, at the end, realize that, let's say Ron has a completely competing belief system. I can actually notice over a period of time that Ron has a stronger foundational belief system than mine. As a matter of fact, his belief system better supports his life and the way things work than mine does. And in the end, I start to reject my belief system and pick up his belief system because it seems to work better than mine does. So those are the three basic options. I can agree to disagree, keep mine, or I can disagreeably disagree and keep mine. We call that church. I can disagreeably, never mind, that was humor. It went over most of your heads. <laughs> or I can actually, in the end, decide that their belief system is better than my belief system and adopt it. Do we see evidence of that? Of course we do, because every time that a person says, I do to Christ, They've had to do exactly that. They've had to supplant the belief system they did have with a new belief system. Do people ever walk away from the faith? Of course they do. And in that sense, what they've seen is somebody else's belief system had a better explanatory power than their own, and therefore they walked away from it. All right. What have you seen so far about this? Anything that you'd like to comment on? Anything that you've noticed about this? Because I think when you look at it that way, it's pretty apparent that that's actually the way it works. So the way you believe is not this rigid, strict thing that has been uploaded into you and is accurate and precise in every way. It's a pretty random collection of things that have contributed to what you believe and why you believe it. Now that's uncomfortable by itself. In other words, despite what you believe about your belief system, your belief system isn't as well informed as you might like to think it is. It's only informed by your personal exposure and experience and education. And there might be a whole world of stuff out there that you have no idea about. Now that's, a, that's an example that's actually living it out. You might never come back to it. You might be like, no, that's not even worth my time. But if you see something, 
know what I mean? Then you're gonna, then you're, then you're gonna gravitate towards that and be like, oh, I need to try that. That's all. I have. Okay. But the scripture tells us to compare all things that are told to us against scripture. But if you don't believe that scripture is absolutely true, then it holds no value. Must compare it to Time Magazine or The Inquirer. What you base those experiences against. Okay. Could you point to at least 10 people in the world who don't believe that Scripture is absolute truth? Absolutely. Okay. Now, what validates your premise that Scripture is absolute truth? What, what invalidates their assumption that it is an absolute truth? Well, that's the generic tolerance of your <coughs> faith. If you have faith in Allah, Muhammad, or whatever, you still are a person of faith. I have faith in Jesus Christ. Validates for me, and all I can do is is live out what is being taught as absolute truth in my life, not based on other people's lives. Okay, but you do understand that somewhere in Iran right now, somebody else is saying essentially the exact same thing, but their foundational point is something different. Absolutely, and that's why it's important that I don't waver in what is the absolute truth I based my life on. I said Scripture is absolute truth because of Timothy three sixteen. But it also means that Scripture is God-breathed, inspired for correcting, rebuking. Well, all right, well, I should stop there. I don't really like the rebuking part of it. And that's what we do as Christians. We take the good and we leave the bad. But it's the bad that also helps us to be a testimony that it was true. Okay. This is where I'm going to start to make everyone feel uncomfortable. Why do so many, and we'll use this, this is, this is classic example, this is low-hanging fruit example, but why do so many children from Christian homes go away to school and lose their faith? Phrase, lose their faith, whatever that means. Why does that happen in light of what we've talked about? Now, don't, don't opinionize this. Ground this in some of the structure that we've already put out there. Oh, uh, he had his hand up first, actually. Then you, then you. They're, they're getting fed something else, which which is more appealing. And there's, I'm, I'm going to be here for four hours talking about talking about what they're getting fed. It's something that's more appealing. Don't have to answer to anybody. You know, the big, the big dictator in the sky type of thing, as Christopher Hitchens used to say. Oh, I don't, I don't want to answer anybody. I just want to go along with my life, and, and this is what they're getting in some of these schools. Okay. Do whatever you feel like. Okay. Stop right there. Now, does everybody here, if you were to turn the volume off, have you ever watched the TV without the volume on? Try to figure out what's happening? Okay. If you were to turn the volume off on what John said, but just watch his facial expressions, and you were to be able to feel the emotion... Where was John's bias? Did he believe that the church and the secular institution were both providing the same value of education? No, he didn't. And so John's premise was biased. I'm not saying everybody has a bias, right? But John's premise was biased, and what he said was they started out with the truth, and they were fed a lie, and the lie was more attractive. Now, I don't know if that's true or not yet until I put that to the test. It's not that that's not what happened. That is sort of what happened, but that's only partly what happened. What's next? I guess my, 
thinking is that everyone at some point in their life is going to create for themselves what they believe. And, it, and if you grew up in a Christian household and that's what you've basically been told, you're going to adopt that until you get to an age where you're naturally going to question that and everything else. And I think that's part of it. And I definitely agree with the first point that the world has this really glamorous uh, picture of what it's like to kind of go down that path. Okay. Okay, so what he's added to the mix is this. That everybody starts out, and we already talked about this, right? Experience, we'll call it education, and then observation, and that constitutes your primary youthful belief system. And then you go out into the world and you discover something else. You discover that you need to validate your own belief system, that it hasn't been properly vetted yet, because it's never been put to the test, and you also discover that there are competing belief systems. We'll talk more on that. Was, uh, my, my thing was, if you're, you're talking about going from home school to public school. No, I was actually talking about going from a public school or whatever kind of school, but you have a church foundation. So you go to the local high school, that's fine, and you come to church every week. And the church teaches you certain things about God. The, the school teaches you certain things about science or whatever. But then you go off to a higher education institute that is, uh, we'll say, just a regular secular institution. And I don't use that in a pejorative sort of a way. But they start to teach you things that dismantle your belief system. And so Junior comes home. And I mean Junior in a very respectful way. Junior comes home, he's 19 years old, and for the first time in his life he's discovered that there are competing worldviews and that those worldviews actually have some explanatory power. Because all the time he was growing up in church, here's what he heard. We have truth. Everything else out there is a lie. If you want to know truth, we have truth. Now, tell me you haven't all heard the gospel message as being declared synonymous with truth. If you want to discover truth, come to Jesus. Jesus is truth. Now, that might be true, but until it's tested, we don't know if that's true. And so they go off to university and they discover people who have a worldview that isn't like theirs, and they have some real serious explanation behind it. And so here's what we have. And you sort of described it. Remember? This is untested belief. This is where most of us live. To get to the other side, where we have tested, validated, vetted belief, we have to go through all the crap in the middle, which is difficult and uncomfortable before we can get here. And so most kids go to university not with this, but with this. And somebody takes a wrecking ball to it in 30 days and dismantles it all because either I dismantle it and check it, or somebody else will. And church doesn't usually do that. And the reason that we're having this discussion, remember, has nothing to do with belief systems. It's that belief systems precede meaning. But we'll get to why the two are connected. Any other comments? And now... We've talked a little bit, and we've hinted around, 
about how belief systems are tested. So how do I know if my beliefs are true? Typically, I find out if they're true if they're tested. So the, the illustration is there, and we're not going to cover everything that's in the notes. My word, we're sure not. Uh, we're not going to cover everything, but you can read some of this stuff yourself. Here's, here's something I'd like you to consider. So an engineer decides he wants to build a bridge. Okay, we'll use a bridge as an example. He is going to hand select every material and every process based on prior testing. In other words, he's not going to build the bridge first and then test it later to find out if it actually withstands what a bridge has to withstand. And so he knows precisely how much weight every cable will bear, how much flex the concrete has in it, and what mix of concrete is necessary to accommodate a certain degree of flex, how much tensile strength the steel has, how much it can flex, how deep he has to go with the foundation piers based on the kind of soil that's beneath the, the water there. Everything is carefully built based on prior testing. In other words, his beliefs are constructed on an organized and systematic way to test every single component. And that's a bridge. Now, I think we'd all agree that building a safe bridge is a pretty important thing, right? If there's 5,000 cars on the bridge at the same time, it would really be good to know that the bridge had been thoughtfully tested in advance. Now, how about your belief systems? How are they tested? Because remember, your beliefs are the foundation on which you're going to travel through life. They are the equivalent of the bridge of your life. You're going to build your whole life on them. How are your beliefs tested? Would you say they are methodically, carefully, rigorously tested as you construct them with an organized and systematic plan for validating them? No, they're not. How are they tested? Okay, now we have... You were just that much second place. Wow. That, and that's all you needed to say. Did you have something to add to that? Wasn't that a great way to say it? Life happens. In other words, <clears throat> random events come into our lives and challenge our beliefs in certain areas. Have you ever known someone to whom extreme difficulty has come? They've lost a spouse prematurely. They've, they've, had, they've had a child die. They've had financial disaster after... As a matter of fact, have you ever known someone that it just doesn't seem to stop? They get one bad thing? I mean, have you ever known a real-life Job? But most of us aren't that, right? We're not. And so what does that story of life happens reveal to us? That we're not all equally tested. Some of us are barely tested at all. Some of us, it's a wonder we wake up and get out of bed because we've been tested so much. So there is, at least from our perspective, and right now I'm making a belief statement, okay? Just understand, I'm declaring in advance, this is a belief statement. Life seems to be random in the way it tests people.
It is not methodical and calculating in the way it tests people. And therefore, one person has a belief system, the other person has for all intents an identical belief system. One's is tested and it breaks the belief system apart. The other's is not tested and the other that wasn't tested looks at the first person and says, I don't understand why you don't believe anymore. John. I think it's Even the very fact, okay, so you introduced a, part of what you said was observational, what I'll call fact, part of what you said was very much immersed in your personal belief system. And part of what you hinted at was that when you become a believer in Christ, that you're going to perhaps be tested at a different level. It may not be that you're tested at a different level, it's just that your newfound beliefs cause you to live in a way which places you at a friction point in life. You didn't have the test before because you weren't at the same place. Okay, so for instance, if one day you decide to be a piece of blacktop in the middle of the intersection, when before you were a pebble on the side of the road, and now that you're a piece of pebble in the blacktop in the middle of the intersection, and every day cars run over you and you say, I didn't realize it was going to be, to be this hard to be this. When you were a pebble on the side of the road, your beliefs did not subject you to the same level of testing. It's not that the universe arbitrarily decided, well, now that you're a believer, I'm going to test you more. It's that by virtue of the fact that your beliefs place you in a different position in life, you are naturally going to be tested in a different way. Now, I'm not disagreeing. We need this kind of interaction to bring this out. I think there's two factions here. One is the physical world, where things have been experimented, tested, documented, are proved. And you've got the spiritual side, where a lot of it's supposed to be based on faith. You have no experimental scientific proof of. So that makes a difference, especially when you're younger. It's harder to grasp that. It is. It absolutely is. And it takes a different set of skills, a different set of vetting processes to, let's say, determine or, or discern things that are spiritually valid versus not than it does to t determine whether things are physically valid or not. So that difference in people, too. Some people are more, I've got to see it exactly, some people are more apt to accept Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other... Uh, Comments before we move on. It also depends on how we look at the situation too and all that. Are we going with a lot of that? Are we using our thoughts and belief or our thoughts and everything <laughs> formulate our our meaning or whatever? Or are we are we ones that are gonna reach out to other people and try to get understanding through them as to what our situation is to 
Okay, now, he's, he's merging two different ideas here. He's merging an element of what I'll call church world, where we're encouraged to reach out and have fellowship with each other, but he's also embracing a, a more robust way of looking at life, which is, I may not have all the understandings in my own. I may, may need to reach outside myself to get a different perspective so that I can see life more clearly. We do that with our friends all the time. Interestingly, over a period of time, we seem to be drawn to, and they seem to be drawn to us, people who think alike, and so over a period of time, the older we get, the more that our friends are more like us, and we don't, we don't develop friendships, continue to develop friendships with people who think differently than we do, and so we become more ingrained in our thinking. Alright, I don't want to cut anybody off. Does anybody have anything before, because I've got to turn a corner here. Tolerant. The world and press and the, the influence that it has on us teaches that tolerance means I accept what you believe regardless of what it is. Tolerance is that I'm able to listen and hear your heart, to, to care enough to listen without judging you. And then working together, wrestle out your faith to fear and tremble. We don't want to wrestle anymore. Get to a place of the comfortable. I have my friends who support my decisions. I have people who have supported me in robbing stores, weren't exactly doing good things, but they were certainly there. You have Jehovah Witnesses who have faith that I can't imagine going door to door. I would love to have that kind of faith, but I don't. And I'm not willing to wrestle through why do they have the faith they have, regardless of their doctrine. I'm intolerant of, of their belief. Okay. Anybody? You had your hand up, didn't you? Yeah. Did you decide to put it back down? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to explain yourself? Yeah, the talk started, and when you kind of finished with me, is that if I change my values, then I can't change the people I can understand that. However, where did you get that belief from? You got that belief either from the scriptures or from... So you had to have a prior belief that said this is a credible source, either other believers or this book. You had to have that prior assumption before you were even willing to consider that. Because before you believed that way, you would have laughed at somebody who suggested that. Like, like if, if, if before your non-theistic self, if, I don't know what your faith journey is, but your non-theistic self encountered somebody who was a believer and that believer described how Satan was assaulting them, you would have said, what? I mean, first off, do you have any evidence of the fact that there's a Satan and then why would he assault you as opposed to all those seven and a half billion other people in the world? Why did he single you out? Are you the, are you the second coming of Job, so to speak? And so he singled you out for a unique form of testing. Right, look, I'm trying to push back because remember, I said my mission today is to make you feel uncomfortable and question everything you believe. Because until you can take it apart and reconstruct it and know that you can rely on it, 